Today's episode of the Rough Drafts podcast is brought to you by Unicorn.com, the world's premier esports betting site. Their esports book covers all of your favorite titles, including League of Legends. Bet for free with Unicorns, which you can use to enter raffles for gaming prizes, and even earn Unicorns just by playing your favorite games. Some regions can even place real money bets. And while you're there, be sure to check out the esports news page where you can read great articles from their writing staff, including me, your host, Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. It's time to put your esports expertise to the test. Log on today. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar, and welcome to the Rough Drafts Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. Uh, maybe not the happiest of occasions but for which we needed to call this uh, emergency pod, but the state of North America needs to be broken down. This is uh, the, the Reddit is on fire, um, Twitter is lashing out all over the place. Uh, so many questions, so many what ifs, and, and what this means moving forward. And I am very happy to be joined by uh, Matt uh, Galbraith, Suburban. How you doing, man? I am living the dream. I'm, I'm not at all. TSM went down in flames. Yeah, I I'm sorry, but also like as as a guy who's been in Misfits Corner, it's really hard for me. Like I, the ma- no, good for them. Yeah, good for them. I don't know, truthfully, if it was TSM choking or Misfits being like really coming around the second week. Probably a combination of the two. But good for them for being relatively new to the scene and not choking like Dublift, who's been around since season one and somehow was like shaking on stage. I mean, I don't want to judge someone, but come on. It it wasn't ideal. I don't think that was uh, <laughs> what TSM fans were looking to see, but. Before we get into TSM, um, because I am the host and I get to decide what we start with, let's get Immortals out of the way. That, uh, yes, you see, you were, you suffered pain before me. Yeah, your pain was a day early. <laughs> exactly. I I was the premonition for yes. which all the rest of NA then had those recurring nightmares of uh, yes. of week two's past. Which, Hipster Immortals fans in pain before it was cool. Yeah, cool is maybe not the word that I would use for it, um, but <laughs> I I got to ask you, as a non-Immortals fan, what were your thoughts as you watched this team kind of collapse in on itself with this 0-4 week two? So I had some interesting – I think that how week two is set up causes this issue that we sometimes have with the name week two and why sometimes regions or teams do better or worse. So week one, it's each game, you have one game a day, and if you lose or you win, whatever, you can reset, right? Mm -hmm. Week two is very momentum-based, right? So if you have players who are new, who maybe have nerve issues, things can go off the rails really quickly, Depending on how that first game goes. So if you think about it, Immortals plays the Gigabyte Marines in the first game of day five, right? Mm-hmm. And lose. Yeah. Uh, right? It's not, 
I, I believe uh, their first game was yeah, the Gigabyte Marines. They lost yep. to an Ergot top, which was not yes. ideal. That's not yes. uh, exactly how I was looking to start the day. Flame, oh. please. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's well, but and you expect that out of them though. But the problem is you can't plan for cheese because Gigabyte Marines have clearly showing shown that every champion is in fair play, and how do you? You can't prepare for that. You can't prepare for Urgot top lane. You, that's true, but you know what you can prepare for? Um, knowing how to use your own composition. Because you have that's this Rise and this Shen, and all they're supposed to do is roam and, and have these, you know, use this global pressure that they have access to, right? You know, you use the Rise ult to get down and flank in a fight. You use the Shen to, to help ensure that these dives can be pulled off. And... You know, to a certain extent, I, you know, this is what happens when you pick three losing lanes. Um, like, there, there was not a single place in which they felt truly comfortable in that that's early game. That's an NA issue. It, yeah. That's, that's an NA issue. I, I will, I, you know, as, as much as I like Song and, and the job that he's done with the team, I have questions about that strategy. And, you know, it just felt like in the mid-game when they needed to make a play, when they needed to start turning that momentum around they didn't have that next option. They didn't, they didn't have that understanding of how to make sure that they started taking control of the tempo back. And I think right. that when Immortals is on the defensive, as I found that they were so often uh, in week two, it, it looks like such a worse team. Like, I, I mean, when you look at like the two Fnatic games, that's, that's got to be the first thing that stands out in your head, right? Is just how much Fnatic was dictating when these fights were happening and on what terms. Right, and the thing is, and this could be the issue, really. How often was Immortals playing from behind during the summer split? This is a team that, uh, I'll double check here real quick, 99% certain, yeah, they were the second best team via Oracleicle's early game rating mm -hmm. in the NALCS to Cloud9. So this is a team that was it's used to playing having that strong row game playing ahead. Maybe mm -hmm. they weren't prepared, like they weren't comfortable or didn't have enough experience playing from behind. And that's an issue at Worlds, obviously, because sometimes you just you don't have that every your every team is better. Mm -hmm. Right? Your your average composition or level is higher. So but I, I, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. And the thing is, uh, Immortals was 0-3 and three on Rise at the World Championship. Yeah. So, I guess to me, there ha I'm assuming there's a reason they picked it, right? Uh, maybe maybe had a competition play at Worlds, but you're picking this champion, you're pick picking this competition, and they didn't win once with it. Like... Yeah, it, I mean, this is the uh, this is a confidence problem, and, and to me, uh -huh. the biggest takeaway I had from this is that this is a a team that looked a little scared. Um, I, you know, I I think we'll get to the bot lane in a bit because that's the one that yes. uh, a lot you know almost everyone has been pointing to, and, and there are, there are good reasons for that. But you know, Pobelter is another example of a guy who, when he feels comfortable in lane, when he feels like He's in a solid place. He's not being forced to make too many early plays. 
he is very valuable. He gets those mid-game runs going. He he's becomes that playmaker. And Rise is certainly a great champion for that. Assuming that you can get Rise out of the laning phase, now you can you have this mobility. You have this nice level six spike. You have a much nicer even eleven level eleven spike, and and you can start putting things together and really snowballing in a way that Immortals likes to do. But when you're playing from behind, suddenly Pobelter just looked nervous to me. Pobelter right. looked you, like the Pobelter that got outplayed by Bjergsen in most of that TSM series. And, and this is a idea. this is a composition, right? So it's 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 Rise and, and Shen, right? So mm -hmm. this is clearly a team you're picking or a, a, a composition you're picking. So you want to be able to make a lot of cross-map plays. You're doing a lot of uh, plays with your team. There's not a whole lot of um, one three one ideally because you're you're trying to use this rise and the shen to create like advantageous like team fights. Mm -hmm. Right. These are both champions that are can can make uh, map movements. So if your team is falling apart, you've just lost two of the like that's what that those champions are chosen for. So if your team is struggling. Uh, to have a cohesive like play style, or you're falling apart individually, and you've drafted a team, a composition that requires you to play well together, like it can go bad really fast. Yeah, and and especially you know we were talking about that Gigabyte Marines game because I think that's the one that you most obviously look at and go, well, how are they this outmatched by a Vietnamese team? You know that that's... give credit where credit's due. Their macro was probably the second best in that group. I I really liked what the Marines put out there, and I, I thought I was actually looking. For, I was hoping that they would win the tiebreaker against Fnatic because I felt like they had higher upside just because they had this extra layer of creativity that I don't think Fnatic has displayed. But look, I, you look at the you know the game they played against Immortals uh, before the tiebreaker, and that was another Rise game in which Pobelter didn't do anything, uh, and, and that's. You know, that you look at a Corky, which you need to be using your package well and getting those roams down. I didn't see a lot of that from him in their game against Longju. I, I, I felt like Pobelter throughout this this day just never it's his first got world, right? it, first world, right? First world? I believe he... Wasn't he on that team that got it through with CLG, or am I wrong about that? Um, What year was... He was on CLG in, in season... Five, right? Yeah, I, I'm gonna look it up um, right now. But you, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he was there through that November, so he did play at Worlds for them in that 2015 okay, so World not, Championship. So it's not necessarily nerves. I mean, I I, I do I think mean, that it we could forget. Still be. <laughs> yeah, we we sometimes act like, oh yeah, problem solved once they've been there once. That's you know, yeah, no, don't necessarily I work agree. that That's, way. No, it doesn't. Plus, I mean, it is you are. You are traveling all the way to China. But obviously, they ha should have had weeks in order to get rid of the jet lag, get all that stuff. But if you remember leading into the world, there were a lot of articles out there and a lot of interviews from Korean coaches talking about how they were concerned about the food. And they, they brought their own chefs. They were trying to make sure because the spices didn't agree with people. Like, mm -hmm. There's a level of comfort at play, I think, that can depend on where people are playing. Yeah. Which is, I think, probably a factor. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think there was any point at which Immortals looked comfortable on this week, too. And, yeah. you know, ultimately, you know, it, it's time that we get there. I, I think Cody Sun and Ale are the two that you're going to have to take a long, hard look 
at how they performed at this Worlds. And I, I think that, you know, as an Immortals fan, my inclination is to say this team was already a bit ahead of where I thought they were going to be. You know, young uh-huh. young roster mostly. Um, I, I think Cody Sananali will have plenty of room to continue to develop. Yeah, think, they only clicked when X Smithy joined. Yeah. I mean, and, this is... And the two people that cho- that were seem to have the most struggle are the two people you'd expect to because they are the youngest and the newest, yeah. right? Which to me, so, you know, that tells me that we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't go too hard on Cody Sun and Ale for for making these mistakes and in their rookie split, a rookie year as a player, um, you know, really trying to figure out, you know, how these, you know, how to deal with these kinds of issues. It's it's hard. And I get it. But on the other hand, they had four games. They had four games in which they only needed to calm down and, and get to that spot where they felt comfortable, you know, for one of them. And and, and I made this point heading into the group, which is I, I didn't think Ale and Cody Sun looked comfortable in the TSM series that they played in the finals. I didn't think they looked all that comfortable in week one. When, when, you know, Ale was missing, like, the first two or three hooks in every laning phase and, and Cody Sun was overextending a little bit and, and constantly kind of making the lane harder for themselves than they needed it to be. And I think at some point, is that, you know, like, is that a, a Cody Sun and Ale problem or is that an infrastructure from Immortals problem that they couldn't get these guys mentally comfortable and ready to go? Well, and that's the that's the question here, right? Because we are looking at another week where obviously NA did perform well, and is it could this potentially be an issue across the board? I actually don't think it is. Um, at some uh, once we're done with the three teams, I do want to. I have a brief point about um, what's different. There's a big difference between last year's zero and ten and this year's two and nine. Mm-hmm. I believe, right? Because there was a. Two and nine, because there were two tiebreakers, yes. There's a big difference because of how they were set up that I just want to go over. Yeah. But with Immortals, I think you're looking at a team that, especially in the ball lane, like, think about it. They, are, they did go against Prey and Gorilla, yes. right? That's that's not, that's not nothing. Um, you're going against a bot lane with Fnatic, I uh, mean, that's experienced, at least, right? Um, so in that regard... There's, they're not going to have those um, mistakes necessarily that you're going to see a new uh, someone like Immortals make. That doesn't excuse the Gigabyte Marines things at all, but I think there's something to be said of being a team that's like in the place Gigabyte Marines is. You don't have pressure because no one expects anything of you. They're there to have fun. Yeah. You're playing with house money. Yeah, literally playing with house money, especially because, you know, they... Yeah, they're playing with house money. No one expects anything from me. And, and I, I, this annoys me because I firmly, I'm a huge supporter of wildcard teams. I'm a supporter of their place at the world championship. I believe they, I believe these opportunities need to be given. Because imagine if someone had decided, uh, what was, what did they call the region TPA was from back then? Because they've changed the names. Uh, well, it was the uh, the GPL. Back GPL, when it was all right, combined. and then they split it. And now it's the LMS. Yes, the... but yeah, so imagine if they, if Riot just like, you know what, they're just not a major region, we're just not going to include them. Then the team that won Worlds, because they weren't, they weren't a major region, but then the team that won Worlds wouldn't have been at the Worlds that year. It's one of those things where you, you got to have these, they have to have a chance. 
why have a league if they're not going to have the chance to earn a spot at Worlds? I agree, and I and I like these wild card teams, and I, I think that they're they were a genuinely good team. I, I think that ultimately, uh, you know, the problem that you have is is just that there isn't as much infrastructure there to really take advantage of it. But I'm like I'm. Oh, there's no depth. Yeah, no. You, you end up with these leagues have the one or two really good teams, and everyone else just isn't even close. We we talk sometimes about the. You know, who's pushing you to get better? My biggest problem I had with Taiwan, and the reason I think that Taiwan is a region struggled at Worlds this year, is that I don't think there are many young teams, talented teams, who are pushing someone like a Carsa, like a Maple, to get better every year because they can basically just be as good as they've been and coast onto that championship. And I think that, I mean, that that does inhibit people's ability to grow to a certain extent. And I, They've I, been so far above the rest of the region that even if there's growth, like that, that's a huge gap that's ha- that ha- that's had to be closed. Yeah, they were light years, but we, we should probably jump back to Immortals. Yeah, we could. <laughs> we, I look. I, I, I don't want to talk about how it hurts, man. I'm trying to avoid yeah. that conversation so, as much as I can. I, what about Immortals going forward? I mean, it's a very good question. I on the one hand. This feels like the kind of loss that prompts changes a lot of the time. But my, my instinct is to say that you hold Pat. You, you say that Cody Sun had a bad tournament uh, and, and that, you know, the tryst sec, as it's been called, um, didn't quite go according to plan. But you assume that he's going to get better as he continues to get more experience. You assume that Ale is going to continue to get better. Um, obviously, huge playmaker potential. Um, you know, first team all pro support this split. I, I think that he only goes uphill from here. I think X Smithy is clearly a shot caller and a leader, and I, I don't think that he was a problem from a mechanical perspective. So I, I think you keep that. I think Flame does his job. Um, Poe Belcher is the one where you have to ask that question. I, I think that ultimately, I would prefer to have someone who is younger, who has more upside who, you know, Immortals can kind of train up. And this is where the Academy teams come into play, right? Because you can have Pobelter on the main squad, get, like, a couple young mid laners to, you know, get some reps on that Academy team, figure out what you have, have them train under Pobelter so they're learning and growing from him, and then maybe on the summer split you move that guy up and he becomes your your, your plan for that year. I I just, I, I don't know that the upside is there with Pobelter anymore. Um I right. think this is just who he is. And the thing is with Paul Belter is this is a guy that took a long time to kind of live up to the quote-unquote hype. Mm-hmm. And I think that perhaps we've gotten to a point where he is what he is, right? Um, he could even be – he had that brief peak. He That could have really been – I think a lot of people have seen his improvement as like, oh, this is who he is. And yeah, he's been – better he's been a better player than he was in his early on in his career for mo- all of this year for both splits he's been a better player mm-hmm. but one season can be a fluke i mean we've seen plenty of uh professional lol players over the years who had one fluky good year and then descended back into mediocrity and i think you're you're right in saying that with every t- teams are mandated 10 10 player rosters next year right Correct. Yeah, cause you, well, because you have to have 
you're starting five and you have to have an academy team. And I, I, I really do think that the academy team gives a really nice cushion if you want to take a risk on a guy or two um, and, and hope that that development happens. I, 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 that is the thing I am most excited about when it comes to franchising because I do think that having the right atmosphere in which you can learn and grow is so massive for a lot of these young guys' development. Um, I, you know, I, ultimately at the end of the day, uh, it's it, it's going to be up to uh, how they feel. I, I think about Pobelter, how they feel about Song, even who, you know, gets a lot of credit from members of the team heading into the tournament for all of the uh, all, all that he did to kind of help get that foundational system going but then you look at an 0-4 week against a very winnable group and you have to wonder whether that's a system failure and whether immortals you know can say well thank you for getting us this far but we think it's going to take the next guy to get us to that next level um i'm very okay. interested to see how it breaks down i have something interesting yeah go for it flame ole and song contracts end at the end of the month yes Smithy, I was curious because that's why I looked this up. Because I was wondering what Smithy's contract was going to be because he was kind of in that two or three team roster stuff where he changed teams a few times. I didn't know how long his contract was because I think he is a key player, obviously, with this team going forward as that calming presence. And his jungling, he's, in my opinion, back to where where he was when he, in like season three like he he was phenomenal this year yeah he had really creative and intelligent jungle pathing and i think he's the key there i was, I was worried like if if he's a guy whose contract was up this year what was going to happen there but if if immortals needs a new top laner they need a new support i i'm not going to say it's not it's a good thing it's the two those two positions if they if both olay and flame decide leave not for nothing, they are the import slots. Yeah. I, so that gives them flexibility. I will say I agree with Kelsey Moser that the – I think we lean a little bit too hard on the, oh, well, we'll just get some Korean import. Like there's not – Right. Like it, it's a great idea that there's going to be some guy who can just come in and take over things. And, for, you know, I believe that talent is there. Like it's certainly out there. But we have seen plenty of imports that have not – done very well ask right. uh, ask united how they feel about gbm and dandy but you know they like, don't have to be they don't have to be korean though so depending on how this franchise process goes let's say sven and mythy are suddenly available do you then try to find an na eligible top laner and we know immortals has money They've clearly shown that in the past. Do you then go out and try to throw the... Because I'm pretty sure Zen, Sven and Missy are a pair, right? They pretty much always make sure they go together. That is how they've treated things so far. Um, if you can get Sven and Missy and pair them with Paul Belcher next Missy and maybe get an NR top laner, that's a, not a terrible... Well, you're assuming that G2 doesn't bring them over if G2 gets through, which True, is but then they have to, to abandon perks. So the, the G2 thing is fascinating. Yeah. Because they have to give up one of those three people. Expect a trick, whatever. You can, it's, it's, it's fine. You'll, you expect I'll, played better, but you're not going to cry. Yeah, I, I mean. They're the easy cutoffs. They're, you're voting them off the Survivor Island right away. 
Yeah. Well, that's as expected in particular. I said that he, he thought this was going to be his last split playing abroad. It, it sounds like he's going to try to come back to Korea, and I think there might be a spot for him in one of those mid-tier teams. Dude, you never teams. know. Core yeah. JJ was on Dignitas, goes back to uh, Korea, and now he's like... so. He was an 80 carry for Dignitas, too, and now he's <laughs> the support for a team that was uh, the you know runner-up at Worlds last year. I, yeah, you know, ultimately, crazy. There's, this is the, the thing that always happens with, you know, we still don't know how many, you know, what teams are going to get into franchising in the first place, let alone, like, what teams are going to decide to release certain guys, what guys maybe are available the, for, like, a trade or This or is going to be the juiciest offseason ever. Oh, my God. I, it's going to be can't insane. Wait. I can't Honestly, like, can Worlds just end? I can't wait. It's going to be, every day is going to be great. Well, see, you're, you're, you're just saying that because... Because TSM is out. <laughs> yeah, let's get to TSM. Congratulations. We're there now. I hope you have had enough time to mentally prepare yourself for this. Uh, I honestly, they gotta, they gotta, they gotta load the money into the Brinks truck for whatever jungle they pull the truck up. <laughs> yeah, it takes time to put that much money into a Brinks truck. I, that that I think is is gonna be the good start. I, I just kind of want to let you you run uh, here for a little bit, like when, as a TSM fan. So make that the unofficial transition into TSM. Yeah, look, look we're doing All we're right. doing TSM. We're here now. Um, okay. Where, what what was your thought process uh, as you saw these games kind of unfold, uh, and 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 just a, as a TSM fan, what is what has all of this just kind of become for you guys? So before day seven, and I. My, one thing, I thought TSM let that initial flash roll, uh, sorry, Misfits game get away. Because mm-hmm. the, they came back a few times, Misfits was ended up able to close it. But the, the thing with their game and with TSM, so like in d- day seven, like if you, we talked about this beforehand, mm-hmm. I had this belief that Flash was going to win one game. And whoever they beat, that was going to be the deciding game for the group. My second point was that I believe their TSM's victory over World Elite was more important than Misfits' victory over TSM. I thought that was going to be a key game because I was I had more faith that TSM would be able to uh, beat Misfits than I had that Misfits was going to be able to beat World Elite. Right. Okay. And I also had this sinking feeling there's going to be a TSM that lost the Flash Wolves because it's it's just an anything to do. It really is. Like they they beat the team that they beat the best team in the group because I think by now it's probably safe to say that World Elite was probably that was the best team in that group. And they they stomped some of those games like yeah. really bad. So they stole a win from the best team in the group. So and that all played out accurate because yes, TSM lost to Flash Wolves. They also lost, they they beat Misfits mm-hmm. and they beat and they but and they lost to World Elite. But luckily for them, that World Elite victory made up for that Flash Wolves loss, which is why they even got to play the tiebreaker in the first place. Yes, that that so, is what saved them there, and and also that Misfits decided that Yasuo was a great idea. And that's in that second match against well, DSM. I'm never going to understand that draft. I, I don't know what the plan was. That that should have backfired against Misfits so horribly. 
Hauntzer um, is also uh, a good NAR. He's he's yes. he's a good NAR. <laughs> that's that's not a champion I would ever give him easily. It, it's I think at this point it's quite safe to say that that is one of Hauntzer's uh, best champions. Right? He was two and zero on it at Worlds actually. Um, three kills, zero deaths, seventeen assists. He killed it. He was great. So I, that's definitely a, that, I think that was part of it. Um, I don't think the I, the people have overacted a little bit about TSM. I think um, this was a group was a game of inches, right? It was very close as far as Misfits and TSM goes. Um, I don't think the teams are that far apart, um, which is a compliment to Misfits because I don't think anyone who reasonably looked at both teams going in, apart from like the people who just were rooting for Misfits or were really Anyone saying Misfits was getting out was hoping that they would continue their growth, right? Right, yeah. You but were, you were we banking take, on a promise, not more than what we'd seen so far. Right. If you say. take uh, EU LCS playoff Misfits and TSM playoff – and uh, NA LCS playoff TSM, NA LCS playoff TSM beats NA, uh, EU LCS playoff Misfits. They, I think they do. I think most yeah. people would agree on that. 100%. Misfits improved and TSM uh, – has fallen apart slowly since um, the summer split. Okay, so I'm going to go over uh, TSM a little bit, how they've been since the summer split. So everyone knows or talks about TSM's poor early game, right? Mm -hmm. It's not really the full early game. It's that first, like, it's not the first 15 or 20 minutes. It's that really early part. That zero to eight to ten minutes, they they aren't as good at getting the first tower. Uh, in fact, they were the second worst team in the NLI and ALCS for getting the first tower. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the second worst team at getting third worst team at getting first blood. Those first eight to ten minutes, TSM often would find, fall behind eight to eight hundred gold to a thousand gold. But TSM was the best team in the NLCS. Um, for getting the first three towers. So, and the thing is, that first tower is often just kind of like, all right, so who had the slightly better step and got it slightly faster? Normally, it ends up being a trade, mm-hmm. right? So, this is a team that while that first eight to ten minutes was a little iffy, uh, Spence Garen's pathing in that part of the game is not great. He he gets unnecessarily aggressive too early before his lanes can really get that dominant that pressure that they're so good at getting, he, he's invading the jungle. He's not giving Bjergsen time to apply the pressure he's known for. No one has items at that part of the game. You're just kind of trying to farm to get your first item spike. You really shouldn't be trying to do too much with these crazy solo invades when your mid laner doesn't have pressure. Well, well, that's what he does. So, And, and some of that, though, is, is Svenskeren, when he started with this team was getting help on those early game invades. Like last right. year, we were talking about a TSM team that was so good in the early game. And one of the biggest reasons was they were willing to commit resources into getting those right. invades going, into getting Svenskeren in a point but where they, he could feel comfortable. And They, they I, did now. Yeah, I know. I feel like... Well, well, I, I just... I'm bringing this up because I feel like uh, there are a lot of people who are very ha- willing and, and able to just jump on Svenskeren and say... Oh right. yeah, it's a hundred percent on him. I I, I just kind of feel issue. like uh, it's a game plan issue. Yeah, I don't feel like TSM helped him at all. I think. But I, I'm walking way. us through this uh, this pattern here. Okay, so yeah. let's go to 
let's go to summer playoffs, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, now I want to mention real quick in the summer regular in the TS, in the regular season, TSM's early game rating was below average, yes. and that's considering the fact that their early game rating is going to be balanced out. Some teams are so bad they're just going to have a good early game against because they're just superior. Right. So the fact that they were like fourth in early game means really against good teams they were probably lower than that because the number was brought up by the fact that if you're going against a team that's 10th in the league, you're going to be better just because you're better. Mm-hmm. So if you transition to the summer playoffs, okay, if you transition to summer playoffs, they're getting noticeably worse at that 15 to 20 minute range. And I think that's part of that. Um, and this, I'm going to rage about this. So that's part of that. We are playing to go even in the first 20 minutes attitude. Right. Right. Now, someone, <laughs> please tell me why a team with the two, three of the very best laners at their position in their region is playing to go even over the first 20 minutes. Great question. That is ludicrous. Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's look at this real quick. Okay. So, um, Bjergsen, uh, he's third in CS difference at 10 minutes. Uh, really good DPM. Uh, his his goal difference at he's positive in goal difference at 10 minutes. He's positive in experience difference at 10 minutes. Okay, summer regular season. All right, so we look at top lane. Hanser is leading the le- leading hit top laners in CS per minute by a decent amount and CS difference at 10. He's doing well in lane. Um, he also led the position in uh, gold percentage damage percentage and CS percentage post 15 minutes. TSM puts a lot of effort into getting Hauntzer, setting Hauntzer up, right? So even if some people might think he's not the best top laner, when you're getting the most resources and you're good enough, you're going to get those advantages, right? Yeah. So, all right, so then we look at, you know, Doublelift. Doublelift is second to Apollo in CS difference at 10 minutes. He's CS, his CS per minute is great. Is he? He's leading the league and experience at 10 minutes, which is arguably more important at that stage of the game than like having like a small gold lead. So you have three of the strongest lanes in the NALCS, and you're playing to go in the first 20 minutes. It's it's ludicrous to me. And and you look at um, TSM at Worlds, and this is a team with an uh, abominable early game, like an absolutely horrific early game, the worst. Um, and you're going to hear us refer to Oracle's Elixir a lot. The worst early game at Worlds. Worse yeah. than Fenerbahce. The absolute worst early game at Worlds. And this is a team that won three games. Yeah. Normally, if you have a... Like, Fenerbahce went 0 and 6. <laughs> and 31.3%. That's where you were, TSM. 31.3 yes. on the EGR. So, and, and, and just to throw out some more fun numbers. just Because really, it, it's amazing across the board. Uh, they were the only team to get zero percent of first splits. Mm-hmm. I, yep, I, I, it's, that's incredible. Twenty nine percent of first towers, which is the second worst at this tournament. Only Fenerbahce uh-huh. was worse. Fourteen uh, percent of first three towers, which yes, was the I worst of the tournament. Yes, I want to stop you there real quick because that's part of the point. Mm-hmm. Okay, TSM sum of the regular season. Seventy three percent of the games they had the first three towers. Playoffs, forty eight percent. Worlds, fourteen percent. Something happened. Something happened in that period of time. TSM changed something, right? Because that that uh, fifteen to twenty minute range where TSM has started to climb back into the game, like they're so good at doing, fell apart. What happened? And it delayed because TSM's late game is still very good. 
their their late game is still very good. Their team fighting is still very good. They they can play around the waves. But the problem was that 15 tournament part game fell apart, which meant they weren't coming together until later in the game. And if you're not coming together until later in the game and you're stuck in your early game and you're playing teams of the good early game, by the time you're actually doing those movements, you're 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 TSM's getting to their best part of the game, it's already over because they're lo- they literally lost at 30 minutes in multiple games. Right. The game's already done. And it comes down... I'm going to let you say your point because I want, I want to talk about how TSM distributed gold experience and everything. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that ultimately when you look at TSM, it, it felt like they had a, a, an immense misunderstanding of where the meta lied. You know, week one, we had a lot more scaling compositions. Uh, people were picking these scaling lanes and going for the late game. But then we started to see towards the end of the week, people were picking up the pace. We were seeing more aggressive compositions work out. And and TSM was very stubborn. And I, I think one of the things to me about especially those first 20 minutes, like you're playing against a higher caliber of opponent. You're playing in a meta that is accelerating faster and faster as this tournament is going on. And you're seeing this. You have just as much information as every other team at this event. And they got worse at this. Like, it, like it, it really felt to me like, I don't know if it's, it's a stubbornness. I don't know if it is an inability to adapt because they've built their system in the early game such that it's not able to be flexible enough to, to rely on these early game things. But, you know, it wasn't that long ago, you know, a year ago with these same five players, we saw a much sharper early game. And Yeah, they seem to be unable to be good. Like, when TSM has an issue with one thing and they're good at something else, they work on the thing that they have the issue with. And I don't know if they don't put in the proper practice time to at least maintain what they're good at. Because they always flopped. And this is not just a this year issue or a last year issue. It, they always will say, we're going to, we're going to, they announce it in their freaking TSM Legend video. They're going to be, we're going to work on this. Right. And then they work on, they get good on that, and they get sucky at the thing they were good at because they don't seem to be able to continue to be good at two well, things. And the thing is, I, you can pick this, these or poor early game top comps mm-hmm. if you have a talent advantage. So, I think TSM almost they in, in North America they would pick these uh, scaling comps and they would use their talent advantage to close that gap in early game so they could play even because their players were just better right. and it made up the fact that the champions themselves weren't as good. Mm-hmm. But you, you can't do that when you're facing like Mystic. Yeah, that seems right? like a concern. And and for me, like the most frustrating part about TSM as someone who's not a fan and you know I can't imagine how frustrating this is for you, but they didn't even try. It's not like, oh, yeah, they were trying these new early game things and it just didn't work because they didn't do a very good job of it. Sven Skarin didn't try for any early ganks. They didn't do anything in their early game between week one and week two or even over the course of week two to adjust for all of the information they were getting. And and to me, I I think the refusal to try is the worst part. I think that it, it it is a an almost an apathy you're 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 letting yourself atrophy here for the sake of what like like holding on to this system that clearly isn't working for you like I, I like mr rouse mr mr rouse rouse mm-hmm. rouse 
Mr. Rouse, yep. Mr. Rouse, yeah, they didn't try him. Yeah. Why you bring it? Why'd you make him a sub? You kept him. They've clearly tried to put some effort in. Doublelift is clearly something's going on. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not try him and say the Flash Wolves game? Matt, you you can't you can't give up Doublelift's 1.8 KDA though. He's just adding oh and minus 149 goal differential at 10 minutes. How do you replace that? Yeah, he Doublelift. So here's the thing. Bjergsen was the exact same play. He was actually better at Worlds than he was in the regular season, okay? Mm. he His CS difference was higher, despite the fact he's playing against, you know, um, good mid laners, I would say. Um, Shia, is it Shia, right? Shia, yeah. Shia is a good mid laner. Um, he was hyped coming into Worlds. Um, Power of Evil is not only a good mid laner, but he's also known as Bjergsen's Kryptonite because mm. people can't separate individuals from teams <laughs> um and you have bjergsen did his did his did his job he did way he did what he does he had a, almost a 10 cs diff, almost 10 cs difference at 10 minutes he uh part of it's i think the champion pool but his cs permit was like nine and a half on average which is crazy mm-hmm. that's like very high um, but TSM fundamentally changed how they distributed gold, which is interesting. And I don't know if it was um, just part of the meta or if it's because if you're losing, you tend to send your mid laner in a cleanup because they can clear the waves faster, right? Because um, you tend to have more AoE um, as opposed to having your AD carrier sit there and kind of ping, ping, ping. So TSM as a team used to devote a lot more of their resources to Doublelift and Hanser and Bjergsen was last, right? He usually averaged around 26% of the team's CS percentage after poised 15 minutes, which, and that statistic is pretty much used for identifying which player the team is trying to feed goal to. Because at that point in the game, you choose who goes and gets those empty waves, right? And TSM is sending Bjergsen there. He's getting an almost 3 to 4% increase. Um, and that comes at the expense of Hanser and Svenskeren, but not Doublelift. Doublelift is getting um, just as much, in fact, if not more. Um, he's getting about the same as he did during the regular season. Yeah. But he's failing. Yeah, he's not doing anything with it. And And I will say, like, this is, this is one of those things about Bjergsen that's always been fascinating is, is that we always praise him for how much he's able to do with so little. You know, he's right. he's super efficient. He's he doesn't necessarily need to be the guy every game, but he's because he's willing to make sacrifices, he makes his teammates better. And, and this is why I think the callouts on social media trying to blame Bjergsen for for what's going on uh, because people are desperate for a scapegoat and. You know, Bjergsen deleted the tweet, but I, I think he was totally right to say that people were trying to scapegoat him. This, the it's ridiculous. Were, yeah, okay, so can you get, give me your 60 seconds as to why people who are trying to blame Bjergsen for this are dumb? Because okay, I, I think it's needed. So, uh, it's, uh, give me like two minutes because I'm going to transition real quickly into a point about TSM and what they should do in the offseason. Go for it. Does that work? Yeah, Because I think that it. we're probably going to get to that next anyway. Um, Bjergsen... What's weird is Bjergsen isn't even cocky. I would, I completely understand everyone who's out there who's like double lift. Uh, you're the scapegoat. You're the one that's messing up. You're the trash talker. You're the one that tweeted right before your game saying we will win. Yes. Right. I don't think Bjergsen didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Hunter did. 
Hanser and Doublelift are the are the egos. Bjergsen, I think that the, the, the thing is you get is that people see him as the best mid, right? And people hype him the best mid layer. Some people are salty about where he was in uh, the power rankings before the the top 20 for Worlds, right? He was 10th. People didn't think he deserved that because of last year he was even higher and he didn't... Uh, was he was he higher last year? He was a little bit, yeah. And, and there was a whole thing about, well, if TSM doesn't succeed, we're not going to put him this high and then they put him nearly no. as high. So. And don't get me wrong, Bjergsen needs to, he's LeBron, and sometimes you need to be Kobe or MJ. Mm-hmm. You need to You need to just be like, you know what, feed me, I've got this. But they didn't. So my, my thing with Bjergsen is, okay, so he's clearly just the player he was in the, in the playoffs. He's clearly just the player he was during the regular season. He's clearly, in my opinion, the best mid laner uh, in the West, I think Perks is a similar player. He's, he, Perks is literally Bjergsen. I don't want to say light because the gap isn't that big, but he's Bjergsen, but a little bit worse. Yeah, right. They're, they're they're similar players at this point. Um, I think that the Jensen argument's well known, uh, well is overdone at this point. So I'm not going to argue that. Um, most players, uh, most teams, and most analysts think it's a no brainer that you'd rather have Bjergsen than Jensen. Mm-hmm. So for me, it comes down to. Um, the fact that, yes, people love this argument that Bjergsen now has good teammates, right? The old argument used to be that Bjergsen has crappy teammates, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not his fault. Bjergsen has good teammates now. But he had good teammates that performed poorly. It's true. Right? So it doesn't matter if you have good teammates if they underperform. Svenskeren underperformed uh, massively, I think. Um, obviously, part of that's game plan right the jungles uh junglers performance can't be taken in a vacuum that's a uh side effect of shot calling and the game plan heading into the game right right junk performance is never in a vacuum double lift just straight underperformed you don't go from being one of the very best laners to to being subpar against like like who like i mean it's re- like misfits hyped players going in was not their bot lane Right. Right. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I was, I, I would argue against that actually, because I think in the EULCS playoffs, Hansama taking a step forward is the reason why Misfits got to the finals. Like, but who's I, the I, high player? Is Power of Evil? Power of Evil is and has Broxa. been the face of that team, but Brock, wait, Broxa plays wait, for Broxa, for not Matt, Broxa, sorry, Ma- Maxlor, yeah, Maxlor, um, Maxlor, but, definitely but the if you, player. If you asked me which player was the most responsible. For misfits getting to the finals against G two, I would have said Han Sama. Like, okay. I, and when Ignar, when Ignar is making plays and landing his hook shots, whatever, he's one of the most deadly supports in Europe. So I, like, I, I think ultimately, like the the bot lane from misfits is a good is a very good bot lane in my opinion. Uh, it's just a young bot lane, and it took them forever to learn how to use it properly. But it, it, but Should it tells they be that. dumping on double lift and Biofrost, though? <laughs> no, probably not. not dumping. <laughs> yeah, like Han Selma's still a rookie AD carry, and he just made double lift look silly. And, you know, ultimately, I, I think that's, you know, I agree with you that the teammates were not there. Uh, I, I think that Hanser did everything he could. I, I, I give he him, did. I give him some crap on Twitter because I think that his ego gets the best of him. And I think that you see him get over aggressive for trades he doesn't need to take because he just assumes he's going to be able to make them work. Right. Uh, but like ultimately, he did everything he could. I thought Bjergsen did everything he could. I thought Biofrost did everything he could. 
and here's the thing with double lift. Double lift is the player that TSM relies on to be that because people are there. Everyone on Twitter, all these analysts, like we want that step up carry me carry performance from Bjergsen. Mm-hmm. TSM doesn't ask Bjergsen of that. They don't want him to do that. Right. It's double if they set up to do that. Think of uh, over the last few years, any time there is a game where TSM came back in this crazy team fight, and even before that, TSM has always had the mid lane be the rock, and the AD carry is the one that's expected to kind of do that those outplays. They don't want Bjergsen to do something crazy and die for free. It's like, Doublelift is a player that has those, wow, can you believe he just did that performances, right? Like right. that game against, that series against uh, Cloud9. Um, uh, Jensen, I think it was Cloud9, Jensen sends uh, Talia Wall across the mid lane team fight, cuts off Bjergsen, um, Hanser, and Svenskaren, um, and everyone dies, and it's literally just like a two versus four with Doublelift and Biofrost, and Svenskaren is uh, down with a Guardian Angel, and Doublelift just like one versus fours. Granted, Jensen did flash into a Lucian ultimate, but we can pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. No, I, I mean, but Doublelift right. is the player that TSM relies on for that. So if Doublelift is unperforming, there isn't that player. Like they don't, they don't set Bjergsen isn't the player. They don't want him to do that. Doublelift is a player that's supposed to step up in the team fights and do that. Well, and, and this is where, you know, again, I think you have to – it's hard to pin down exactly who's to blame uh, for, for this aspect. But you would think in a do-or-die must-win game, you want your best player to be the best guy on the rift. And, right. you know, we can argue whether or not they, it seemed like they trusted Bjergsen to do that. I think putting him on a character like Rise is something that traditionally he should have some carry potential on. I, I do think – I do understand people who say, well – Bjergsen has been going to Worlds now for four years. Uh, three of three, the last three of which are really the ones that people focus on is like, at, you know, TSM is supposed to be doing so much better than they are. Right. And season I think four, that, you're not going to judge them for. Yeah, no. It's, season, it's Dyrus, it's Wild Turtle. Like, it's, he, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> he, it wasn't his team until season five. But in those, he's now had three years in which when it mattered most and you would want a guy like Bjergsen to have a... Statement game. I am the best player on the rift. I can take over this. He hasn't done it, and I do think that's a fair criticism. This, like it is a this fair criticism. Yeah, like, I would argue that S five was the year they over season five was the year they overperformed because they were really sucking until they grabbed Lost Boy. Yeah. So that, that, that was, was an nice. overperforming year, but S six a hundred percent straight choke. Yeah. And and season well, seven, that just, group they they. They should have gone out. They should. They, they. We should not be having this conversation. No, we shouldn't we, be having this conversation. We, we shouldn't. And and that's I think the the problem is that you know it's very clear to everyone that this is a team that is better than the, what their result was. I think they are uh-huh. the equivalent of what now China's having to deal with with EDG, who finally right. remember that they're a good team when it was too late. Um, Even Thorin, Thorin, the TSM hater of all TSMs, like tweets out, "No one in the right mind actually." thinks TSM is the better team than uh, Misfits is the actual better team than TSM, right? Hmm. The actual better team. Like, if you had these two teams play 20 games, I think we most but most of us would think that TSM's winning more than 50%. Yeah. But they were they had the better tournament, they were more they were, uh, more uh, better prepared, 
uh, shout out to their support staff. They clearly did a good job, and they made sure their players didn't just adopt that. We're just here to you know get experience, you know, mindset. You know, they clearly came to play, and if I'm SKT, I'm not sleeping on them. I'm giving them the t- I'm giving them their due and preparing adequately. Yeah. But so, uh, yeah, I thought they they have a very nice analyst staff. I love seeing Nasser Al Naki do well. Um, I am very excited, I guess, uh, to see where Misfits goes. I think Misfits has a very high potential. I, I think that ultimately, I wasn't expecting them to get this far this year, and I doubt that most fans were. And I, I think you're right. I think TSM is the better team right now, but it it didn't matter because. They couldn't put it together. They couldn't adapt in the same way. They couldn't be flexible in the same way. When, when it was clear that changes were needed, they were unable to make changes. And so I think now... But that's TSM. Yeah, that's, well... That's, that's, that's TSM in a nutshell. They've never been the team that can make that snap judgment on the fly. Except in, in best of fives, they're great at adapting over a best of five. They're really good at it. Yeah, I mean, really good at adapting over best of five. But in these best of ones, they just... They, they can't pick up trends and meta changes during a day. You know, these are the power picks. Um, they come in with their list of these are the power picks, these things are going banned, and then uh, over the course of the day, different games are being played and different champions are being prioritized, but they don't adjust. Yeah. They had that weird Lulu fascination, but Jana is... It's ridiculous. Yeah. No, but the, look, the, the drafts weren't good. Well, let's... Uh, let, let's go this way uh, with this question before we move on to the next team. We've already seen that Parth is stepping down. That's 100%. Um, what else do you want to see as a TSM fan? What do they need to change in this offseason uh, if you they want need, to believe this team's going to move forward for Season 8? They need to bring in, and this is very common in football teams and basketball teams, they need to bring in a, a SAR. Like a like a, a czar who's gonna actually have a voice over even Reginald. They need to bring in a guy who's going to, uh, and this he's not gonna be the coach, mind you. He's gonna be closer to like a team president, and it's gonna be his job to create a new mindset for the team. He's gonna uh, get a coach who's gonna answer him, who's gonna put that mindset into play get analyst group that's going to put that mindset into play. They need to change how they're playing with the team. Um, they don't need to blow up the roster, as a lot of TSM fans are overreacting to right now. Uh, people are saying get rid of Bjergsen, Dublin, Biofrost, uh, Bio Haunter, start completely fresh. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Even if Bjergsen, let's say, and I don't agree with this, let's say Bjergsen is a guy who just he doesn't step up at Worlds. Right? Let's say he's not. You're, you're going to get rid of the very best mid, a guy who's the best mid layer in every part but Worlds. Yeah. When you can have a full 10 man roster. Like, even if I believe that Bjergsen just chokes at Worlds, which I don't, that screams of one of those, like, sports trades where they trade away a guy and then two, day, two years later they go to the World Series or Super Bowl and they win and everyone's like, wow, I wish we still had that player. Like, everyone in sports knows that situation, right? It, it really, we do need to change this idea that a win-loss record is what determines the quality of an individual player. I, I think that's a problem. I I will say, if it's up to me, I think Svenskeren and Doublelift should go. I, I Svenskeren goes completely. Doublelift stays as a sub. If, that's, if he that's will. Fine. I think, double. yeah, if Doublelift's willing to 
you know, I, I think the most logical answer would probably be get a young guy who plays on the academy team in the spring, double if trains him up, and then the goal is that this new guy comes in yeah, and, and double if faces out to be a, a streamer. Yeah, I mean, or I don't know that Mr. Rollins is a... Keep him, keep him as that... He, there's a few players on TSM that could potentially serve as their ben, Benji, I think. Their Benji, right? So double if is a guy that I would keep... Uh, take the pressure off, right? If he's not the main guy, he doesn't have to have that stress and have him be this laid black guy who just kind of comes in if things are falling apart. He's got that slight shot calling thing going for him, like in the middle of the split, right? Say things are falling apart in the middle of the split and some their AD carry needs a break. If your backup AD carry is double lift, at least if you're in the NALCS, you're in really good shape. That that's fair. I, I don't know exactly how many you know how deep benches are going to go, given that there is an academy team. And I am assuming that someone like Doublelift would not be eligible for an academy team. I also don't know that Doublelift would necessarily want to be on the bench and well, coming off it, that way. So are that's, there rules with the academy team? I am assuming some will be announced. With the, they've been very vague to this point. But, okay, but so indications would be that there would be yeah. No, I mean I think you keep uh, Hanser, Biofrost, and Bjergsen one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, because Biofrost has shown clear. I mean, he is very good now. Very at this good. Point. He's a very good sport. He's shown clear. We sh- at some point there needs to be a podcast on about how lucky TSM has gotten with like just going from one really good player to the next. Like they they needed a top lane at the exact time that Hanser was available. Uh, they they. It's funny if you look back. TSM tried out Ignore and Biofrost. They really didn't have a bad choice either way. Looking back, Ignore mm-hmm. is great. Biofrost is great. They could have gone either way. They're they, they, TSM has had luck, is what I'm trying to say. So you keep Biofrost because he's an NA resident who's really good. NA residents who are really good are still worth their weight in gold because it doesn't matter wh- who comes over from EU. It doesn't matter what teams uh, join and what teams get kicked out of the franchising. You still have to have three NA players fielded. So even if TSM wants to – and this is another reason to keep Dublin. Say TSM signs a bunch of EU players, but they can only play two at a time, Right. Yeah. So say they want to swap in one EU player, they have to kick out another. You got a guy like Doublelift who can jump in and be that. You you, you got to have always field three, right? Yeah, the, it's, we unfor- I, there just isn't a lot of evidence right. that that succeeds. Like outside so of like SK Telecom doing it, which I, I don't think at this point we can say that TSM's coaching staff is equivalent to SK Telecom in terms um, of balancing all that. So speaking of TSM's coaching staff, Paul Belter is gone. Uh, not Pope Belter. Parth, Parth is, is gone. gone. Everyone should probably be gone. Yeah. TSM needs a drastic change in mindset. They need they need to acquire a new jungler and they need to not break him. And when I say break him, I mean they need to not teach him the TSM way. They need to let him be what, and they need, he needs to be an aggressive early game jungler. They need to let him be that guy. Pick up Dardock. Dar- TSM is the only team that Dardock I think would be successful in because he's they got that winning serious atmosphere. It's kind of like why. Certain players, they go to the Yankees and they're good because the Yankees have this professional atmosphere and you just know that you got to fit in or you're done. So, sign Darlock or Yankos if you have that spare import slot, which yeah, they do. I feel like Yankos is a much better option than – I'm out on Dardock, but that's that's for another time. Well, it, if Dardock's not – if it depends on who's available. Yeah, no, I mean – but but I think I, I think we agree that Svenskaren has to go – Serious Double coaching changes go. beyond just Parth. Double if probably goes, or if he comes back, it should be in a limited spot. 
I think all and that's Reginald's, there. And Reginald's not as good as his team talks. He thinks he is when he comes in and steps in. He's yeah, just. Yeah. I get like there. And that's. Do you ever have that thought when they talk about how Reginald steps in? He just gets the game even though he doesn't play anymore. That's not a thing. Yeah, that's totally that's not, not how thing. this goes. Uh, that's three. He played four. He played in season three. When we hear stories about NBA owners like James Dolan pulling moves like that, we think it's insane and it's ridiculous and what in the world are they doing? Because it is! But Reg, when Reggie does it, it's like, oh my god, Reggie's so competitive, best owner in A. Like, he, I, just, they're, they're like, they're literally just, he just understands the game. I'm just like, he doesn't play at all anymore. He's, he's had times where he's gone seven, years, seven months without playing. Right. What is he analyzing? He, he, he runs a massive company. Like, there's so many other teams he has to pay attention to. I honestly, well, like, I mean, Reggie, does he pay attention to them? I, in theory, <laughs> I look honestly like Reggie just needs to understand. And the, you know, I, we say the same thing about a guy like Steve Aronset, right? You need to know your place. You need to know your role. Know what you're good at, and do the things that you're good at. And I think. Right now, Reggie jumping so hands-on may be causing as much harm as, the, as it is good. We're, we're going to have to move on because this has been 40 yes. minutes of, of TSM just digging Sorry. that hole deeper. No, do not apologize. That's exactly so what the people me, at home are waiting seconds. for. Give me 10 seconds. I'm jumping to my closet to take off my TSM jersey and to put on my Cloud9 jersey. I'm okay. Right yeah, yeah. Good plan. <laughs> um, yeah, let's, let's go with Cloud9, this. Cloud9, the hopes of North America. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, it's a tale as old as time. For whatever reason, it really is, which or, is interesting. Yeah, and and let's start with that. Why do you think? Before we get into the things that I think went wrong for week two for them, but why do you think that Cloud Nine is this team that, even when they don't have the same kind of regular season or playoff success as some of the other teams that qualify for for Worlds for North America, they're constantly able to find these gaps when the World Championship comes around. It's a hundred percent has to be. And if I'm the other NA teams, I'm just like, so what do you guys do on your boot camps? <laughs> like, that would be my question. There's yeah. support staff. It's you got to put some of it down to the support staff. I think you look at certain their players. Sneaky is a chill guy that's literally never going to ever have some kind of nerves. Mm-hmm. I don't think he. I don't think he's actually capable of being nervous. <laughs> right? You just kind of he's. He's he, never had those issues. Double fit. He's been, he was a cool cat right from the start. Yeah, he's um, he's. I think calm under pressure is a is a great way to describe almost yeah. everyone on this team. Though you can make an argument, I think for for contracts well, and even Jensen at different points in his career. Well, and the thing with Jensen is that he's just yeah. Jensen definitely has those those throw throw bargain moments. Um, but the other thing with him is the type of player he is isn't ne- what he's strong at. Isn't something that's necessarily going to be affected by choking. So like, what is Jensen really good at? What is he known for? Ridiculously good advantages in lane, right? Just yes. absolutely mind-blowing. Like, he he's averaging a 15 CS differential at 10 in a group with Faker. So... That was, that was fun, yeah. <laughs> and a group... And, and, uh, and, and you have EGG in there, too, right? So he's he's killing it. Just straight, like, that's that's who he is. And I feel like that's not something that necessarily tilts, right? Right. Like, that type of stuff happens in, like, the mid and late game and the team fights. You don't just tilt Miss CS, I think. Right? Right. So I think that part of a game, if you're strong at that, that's something that's more resilient, I would say. Like, Mm -hmm. his strengths are more resilient to that type of, like, underperformance. 
you just you, you, CSing is a robotic thing. You don't just suddenly become crappy at CSing. Yeah, you would hope. Um, though to ask Westor about that, maybe he'd have a different answer. Or like, <laughs> uh, what's his face back in the day? Uh, who is that NA mid laner who's always known for just being abominable at it? Uh, oh my goodness! I there have been several uh, over the years. Dignitas. Oh, uh, not, Shifter. Shifter. Yes. Shifter was always known for like just for some reason being abysmal. In lane. It wasn't ideal. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's ridiculous, right? Um, and I'm actually wrong. He averaged a 10 CS difference with 10, but that's still ridiculous. Yeah, you you had him and Impact averaging double digit leads in CS at, at 10 in a group that had two of the best, two, two that, of the best probably eight teams at this event. Uh, even and that's a key, I think, for C9 performance as well. Is Impact was good Impact. Yes. Impact was, and that was the question coming in, right? Because we all know Cloud 9s when Impact is rolling. Cloud9 is a dangerous team. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's pretty well known, but at this stage of his career, you, you don't know what impact you're getting. Yeah. I, and, and, and I do think that one of the things that was really nice about Worlds this year is that impact did step up. I think he's looking a lot better. Um, and I, I, I wrote an article about this that un, uh, unfortunately did not quite make it to publishing and maybe is going, probably going to be retooled to come out sometime this week. But the thing to me that stood out about Cloud9 is that more than Immortals or even or, or TSM in particular, Cloud9 had a system that was uniquely theirs. There is, Cloud9 seems to have an understanding of how to develop a style on the World Championship stage that does adjust for what they're seeing, but also uses their player's skill set to the best extent that they can. Instead of going for what they think is the quote-unquote best pick, they're willing to do things like pick a Graves for Contracts if they believe that it's going to allow him to play the play style that Contracts is good at. If it means that hmm. Impact is going to so play the style that he's good at. playing to their strengths. Yes. novel concept. It's, it's nuts, I know. And, <laughs> you know. and it's funny because this was... You know, in the spring, this was a criticism that we had of Cloud9, right? That it felt like Cloud9 and was at that point a discount TSM, where it was the same. Both teams loved to scale into the late game team fights around the big neutral objectives. And that series went to a full five games because Cloud9 could do it almost as well, but not quite at the end of the day. And, and now I think that, you know, there was a very clear identity that this team wanted to win early and use that to get advantages that would maintain what they needed to get done as the game would go on. And ultimately, where did that leave them? Well, they had the fourth best early game rating of any team at Worlds with a 56.7. That's nuts for a team like uh, Cloud9 that couldn't get past the quarterfinals of their own playoffs, you know? Uh, and and I, the other thing that I will point out as a, a huge gap, I think, between what Cloud9 did and what ended up happening with TSM and Immortals is because... They focused specifically on getting contracts comfortable. They had these huge dividends on, uh, in, in terms of efficiency uh, across the map. Uh, the big yeah, one he you look at, up too. yeah, you're looking uh, to to compare. You have 51.7 percent jungle control for Cloud9. Yep. That's the fourth highest, uh, 0.1 behind Gigabyte Marine. So really, they might as well be at third. Um, TSM was 14th at 40, uh, 47.6. Immortals was 16th at 45.1. I consider these TSM concerns. Real quick, what team led? It's Misfits at 55%. Yeah. 
That says a lot. Yeah, it does. It really wasn't uh, good. Random fun thing. Do you look over four categories? Yes. No one ever got Elder Drake in a team in a game of Cloud Nine. That's true. Six games, no Elder Drake. Cloud. <laughs> but here's the thing. I appreciate that about Cloud Nine because what it means is they understood that they were either going to win the game quickly or they were going to lose, and they wasted yeah, they no had time a low with average that. Game time. Yeah. They had the second lowest of Team World Elite. World Elite because they literally just raffle stomped a few people. As far as I can tell, I don't think an Elder Drake spawned in any of their games. Like, the games yeah. were ending too quick, which is good. Like, that's that's them understanding what their win condition is going to be if they're going to get out. And they again, it speaks to, to their coaching staff. Before they got to a part where, like, you're in a group with SK Telecom who is notorious. Like, SK Telecom had bad order games. Mm -hmm. they, they had bad order games. They are notorious for that. But you make one mistake against a, against SK Telecom, as we saw in the EDG game. <laughs> you make one mistake, and you're done. And you know what's funny? That's reminiscent of Cloud9 back in the day. When we think about Cloud9 in Season 3 and Season 4, that was their thing. They would turn tiny errors into 3 or 4 or 5k gold leads. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I, I think it's still kind of their thing. If you look at, you know, you, you talk about being able to capitalize on these things when they do get a moment... SK Telecom, biggest reason they were able to do this uh, is you look at the lane efficiency. And I always tell people when we do VOD reviews on the Discord, like look at how people are managing their waves. That's how you tell a good team from a great team and a great team from a truly great team. Uh, SK Telecom leads all teams at Worlds with a 53% lane efficiency. Longju is 52.5. Samsung is 51.3. Those are the top three teams. Cloud9, 51.2% right after. So yeah. not only were they doing these things early, but they were understanding how to set up so that when they did have those moments, they were able to take advantage of them. Now, to, to give TSM credit where it's due, they were fifth right, right behind them at 50.7, but TSM weren't making the plays that allowed them to take advantage on those laning leads. So their fundamentals were around that same spot, but Cloud9 was playing a style that allowed them to exploit that strength of theirs, whereas TSM was doing something that I felt inherently worked against that strength. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> but, you know, so I, I know we just we, we went to Cloud9 and, and this is something that I think Cloud9 fans are, are, are understandably getting frustrated with uh, in terms of how the conversation has been directed. No one's talking about them. Yeah, because people are talking about, you know, be, and, and when they're talking about them, it's still in the framework of like, oh, well, North America, this North America, that. Um, so that, that a, I hate that with how people talk about League of Legends. Mm -hmm. I hate that we call it the West. I think calling it the West shortchanges EU because I, I, even as a TSM fan, I'm not going to argue that Europe has not. Europe has definitely had a better history of success at Worlds. Mm -hmm. They've also had almost lower lows at times, right? They were the first uh, Western team to get blue shelled by a by a small region. Kaboom! Yeah. That sent. That's how it's become a tradition since then. One one team from the West almost gets blue shell, like CLG got blue shell the year before last year. This year it was, um, well, well, it was SKT. Funnily enough, who got who's lost to AHQ in a game that made no sense. And yeah, it's so still... it's that's a that's a tradition at this point. But Cloud Nine doesn't have Cloud Nine gets the reliable wins. I think. Yeah. I mean, and they're consistent. And, and again, I, I think that comes to an understanding of what it is that their players do and how best to utilize that. And I think that you have to, at some point, you have to look at Reaper, who I've been saying should be getting some Coach of the Split Awards for a while now, and I feel like he keeps kind of being a little underrated here. But 
uh, clearly had these guys all ready to go. Clearly had them in a spot where they felt very comfortable executing their plan no matter who yeah. their opponent was. I don't think that they they looked any worse uh, you know, against you know, a team like SKT. You know, I, I mean, certainly SKT was the better team, and it was clear when watching the games that that was the case. But I don't think that Cloud9 felt looked any more nervous or, or choked, per se. I think it was just the better team won. But they still played their game, and I think that... If you if you're willing to play your game every week, you're going to give yourself a chance. Yeah, you will go a long way if you beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Yeah. Right? And yeah. they did. They went 2-0 against ASQ. They beat the team they were supposed to beat. And that paid off because um, they got a split with EDG and AHQ was able to pull out so the AHQ beat EDG. EDG was not able to beat the team they were supposed to beat. Yeah, and then HQ got a game off SK Telecom because shrug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I. It's, it's SK. It's SK team groups, man. It's it, just. It's the it most happens. Taiwan thing for HQ to have Westor come in, blind pick Fizz, beat the reigning champions, and then lose both of the next two games horribly. Like not even like remotely well, it is, relevant. It, it's it's kind of like. And that happens with older players where they – when you're not as good, you can't maintain as big of a champion pool. Mm-hmm. That's – like if you look at every single player and their downsides of their career, the champion pool shrinks because they can't maintain – but it's West Doors Fizz, man. I Look, I, I <laughs> loved that he did it because Faker did it to him in round one. Uh, and that was, you know, that was one of those, oh man, Faker styling on Westor, picking the Fizz, you know, showing he could play the champion. And then Westor did it back. And then the very next game against Cloud9, Faker's like, well, I got to play Fizz now. I got to redeem myself. And just <laughs> took out all that anger on Cloud9. Um, but poor, he, poor Cloud9. Yeah. I miss the Assassin meta, man. I miss it. It was fun. I, I think we're going to get one by the end of Season 8. I'm feeling it. I think, I think we're ready for it again. I think they're just... Yo, know, there's enough things in the game now, right? Because you have um, to counter it. Uh, as far as like, because the problem if if you buff assassins too much, it just takes over the game. Right. Um, and bot laners don't want to play the game anymore, which is not. But there's specific <laughs> items in the game that kind of help with that now. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. No, and I think so, some of the the reworked keystones and everything are going to go a long way. You know, before before we move on, I do want to talk about the. The, the downsides here real quick with uh, Cloud9 because, yes, they looked the best of all these NA teams. Yes, they, they put together a, a great week one and I, I think did what they needed to do in week two, but they did go one and two. And I, I do think that there were some things in their losses that concern me as they head into their uh, quarterfinals matchup against WE. So, so what are the things that stand out as potential red flags as far as what's going to happen to them this week. Okay, so against WE, the question is, I think is going to be, well, for starters, it's which WE World Elite shows up, yes. right? Um, is it the World Elite that, that had a few games that were iffy looking, or is it the World Elite that just, like, completely rolled? I mean, some of those games are, were painful to watch, right? Where... Uh, were there any perfect games, actually, now that I'm thinking about it? Did they get any perfect games? Uh, With people trading first tower now, these days, it's really hard to get a perfect game. 
I think there, there was a few... yeah there was there was a perfect game almost perfect game where like one tower got snuck. I think there was an almost perfect game where a, a dragon was left yeah. alive. There were a lot of almost perfect games. Yeah, so if that World Elite shows up, I'm pretty sure Cloud9 just gets 3-0'd. But the thing with World Elite is, it, if that if they lose that first game, they these 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 Chinese teams are all of them. Which it's what's funny about the Chinese teams is they all tilt. Yes, <laughs> they they all do it. It's just it's so strange that the LPL is fascinating, right? Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating league. It, I think it's one of the most entertaining leagues to watch. Unless you read, if you're offended by Good League of Legends and you want to see Good League of Legends all the time, do not watch the LPL. But if you enjoy just entertaining games, it's it's a great to watch. So if if that good World Elite shows up, Clamon isn't even. It's they're toast. They're really toast. And I think that's probably a fair statement, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I mean honestly, uh, I would even say they win a game if that World Elite shows up. Well, and, and I, I do th- like like WE strengths are are clear, and I, I do think that they do. You know what what the problem that Cloud Nine is going to have is that WE play out the early game as well, if not better than what Cloud Nine have been doing. Right. Which means that and what has Condi been an advantage kind of falls off. Yeah, and Connie's really good. Um, I, I think the the bigger concern for me, uh, if I were to watch, you know, looking at what I saw from Cloud Nine this week. I thought that their draft in game one was really concerning. I, I don't know how you draft a composition that is so vulnerable to being dove against Scout, the, arguably the second best Galio in the world, Clear Loves Jarvan, Mouse's Maokai. Like they, they gave up so much dive. And anyone who's watched EDG play throughout their, their Chinese season could tell you that Dive comps are super strong, and that's how that and was going to go. That's how China plays, and that's, that's how also, China plays. That's how, how China plays. So I don't know how they were caught off guard by that. That that concerns me. I, I would also say that you know, contracts looked not nearly as strong in week two as he did in week one. I think there's a reason that you look at the game that they won. They put him on that Gragas. I think they're starting to. Maybe lose a little bit of confidence in his ability to play things like the Ezreal and the Graves in order to get leads because he's going to have to do it against really good junglers that can exploit the less meta-relevant junglers. And against Condi, I don't know that he's necessarily going to get away with those champs unless he can play them better than what we saw in Week 2. So so those are, those are a couple concerns that I have. Um, but, you know, like you said, I, I think that... WE is going to be as big of a factor, if not the biggest factor, in terms of what truly stands out. Is there anything else you want to add in Cloud9 before we, uh, we move on? Yeah, to our final uh, real quick. I mean, it, I, I would like to, I guess, look real quick at the... If we look at the, the game that Worldly lost, mm-hmm. um, it's something where the Condi wasn't able to do much, right? Right. So I think the key for Cloud9 is going to be impact. I think that's the uh, the one lane where t- Cloud9 has the most fluctuation with how he plays versus uh, 957. Uh, that bot lane is not not a good matchup for for Sneaky and uh, against Mystic. Shea versus Jensen is probably a push if Shea's on his game. But he does have off games. 
So I think the key is going to be getting that uh, aggressive jungler, drafting uh, aggressive lanes, um, trying to make sure you're getting like just a winning matchup in every game, and just you got to go 100% fully commit to that early game. Yes. Fully commit. Every single draft, every single lane, even if it's a champion that isn't considered like top tier, like some champions who aren't who aren't in that top two or three at the at the position, they'll have a good they'll be good at the early game, but they have other flaws that mean they're not quite as predominant as say like a uh, like a Syndra. Mm-hmm. But uh, you you gotta you gotta fully commit to that early game. Fully commit to the early game, and that first game is going to be of paramount importance. Paramount importance because. Um, they lose the first game. I don't know if they win if they win another if they win any because of how the the, the Chinese teams work. Like they get if they get that momentum. Um, my only thought is they could potentially get cocky, but I think that first game is hugely important. Yeah. No, I, I and agree. Also, and, and have and have one composition that's slightly off, right? To throw in there. Hmm. You've you've, right? you've got to be able yeah. to have at least one changeup. I agree with you. Right. Because against a Chinese team, against a, a Korean team, you're probably just going to get smashed if you throw them a changeup. Against a Chinese team, if you can throw a changeup and get them that loss and get them to lose that game, that can be the game that tilts them. I wonder if uh, if Cloud9 would be willing to try something like uh, the Gigabyte Marines lane swap that we saw was really effective against a Fnatic. Because that requires a macro intelligence of the game that I'm not necessarily sure... Um, we've seen from 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 we i think that macro wise uh you know we're, we're seeing with rng and with we that their strength is just that they can kill all of the things at all of the times because they're really good at understanding how to just get that you know seize that moment but if you throw something off that throws you know throws off their early game rhythm and, and maybe pull one of those kind of lane swappy moves i think you can maybe you you can start to set the rhythm with that in a way that I'd be concerned about Jensen because he's one of those guys who's kind of meticulous in his ways. Mm. So you're kind of giving up your best player's best advantage. You're 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 sacrificing your best player's best skill set, and that's ballsy. That's fair. I I I don't know. I I feel like. But hey, it, hey, it, have it have it ready. Yeah. Say they're down zero two. Because remember, Cloud Nine is the 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 reverse sweep specialist. Yeah. That is, they they reverse sweep their way into the worlds last year. It's it's a strategy. I'm not sure it's the one. It's kind of like go how with, some but... players are just like Wild Turtle and steering stealing things with Jinx Ultimate. Or isn't Condi known for that? One of the Chinese junglers, Kelsey, was talking about how they're legitimately just really good at stealing Baron. Was that Condi? Uh, I think I... it might have been. Condi's really good at it. I, I also think MLXG is pretty good at it, to be honest. Yeah, um, I think she mentioned that. That he, she was like, it's almost a legitimate strategy because they're just that good at stealing Baron. Yeah, I I'd have to to look it up because I don't I didn't watch enough LPL to know off the top of my head. But hopefully, I think it's a three one world elite. Yeah, that's. It feels like that kind of uh, that kind of year, doesn't it? I, I yeah, like it's definitely. It's they absolutely best, in play. They got the best group. They got they got the they got the best draw they could hope for. I, I just think that China's really good this year. Like I, I'm going to get into I'm going to do a quarterfinals podcast later on 
this week where I'm going to break down each matchup in a little bit more detail. But right now, from what I, I watched and where my instinct is taking me, I think that Longju and SKT look like the two best teams. But I think that RNG and WE look like the two most explosive teams. And I think that it's you've got to be able to put up a nearly perfect defense if you're going to get past those two. Or you've got to be even more proactive than they are, which I think is going to be a tall test for, for either Fnatic or Cloud9. Uh, so, so to me, that's... It, it, letting these Chinese teams set the pace is going to be a very difficult thing to claw back from. But we're, we're... I agree, but real quick, RNG, they might match up well against SKT, and they're on that side of the bracket. I, I agree. I want to wait and see what SKT does in a, in a best of five. Because we, we always get a little bit preemptive about like, oh man, SKT, oh, they had always, a couple shaky yeah. games. And then they go on and they win worlds because, of course, they do. And I think we learned anything from that EDG win. Like three for three. Yeah, three for three. Yeah. And I, and they won that, you know, EDG game when they were down like ten thousand gold in the biggest, like, swing of the group stage. Like, we we cannot underestimate them. We can't ever count them out. I I want to see how RNG looks in a best of five and see if you know if a team adjusts like Fnatic that they can. They can handle it. There's a lot of Ch- Chinese teams in best of fives in recent years have had concerns. So I we'll, we'll get there. We'll get to the quarterfinals and do all of that in another podcast. But yeah. before we wrap up here, real quick, because we've been going on for nearly uh, an hour an and a half hour and now. An yeah. How are you feeling about uh, the rumors we're hearing when it comes to franchising, uh, specifically okay, surrounding so... Dignitas not getting a, a spot? So... I think that was probably, they were one of the ones I just kind of assumed wasn't going to get it, truthfully. Hmm. Um, they don't have the fan base that they used to because their fan base, like a lot of fandom in League of Legends, was player based. Mm-hmm. Um, Ami Cutie Pie is quite enjoying that Dignitas fan base as he makes millions of dollars streaming. Um, they've they don't. They didn't stick. the The original uh, fan base didn't really stick with the team because they they left the NLSS for a little bit. So I expect them not to make it. I'm not surprised. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, it's not like they have any super good players that is even gonna like have much of an impact on like other teams potentially because you're like uh, apart from someday, right? Someday I think will be a team a player that um, specific teams will chase as being really good. Um, I think Adrian might be someone as well, but it's just kind of sad, right? Because they, they, they didn't make it. Um, I think they might have made it if they was if it was the same owners. They they don't have the fans. How hundreds a hundred uh, there are a hundred applications, so there's plenty of VC money, so that's not a draw. So I, I never thought I never saw what Dignitas brought to the game in the first place. So I, I expected it. Well, okay, so you and I come at completely different ends of this because I thought Dignitas was almost certainly going to be included because they're owned by the 76ers guys. And the 76ers is exactly the type of team that Riot has been trying to court with all these applications, right? Like, they, like there's they this are, huge basketball like... influence in, in terms of the investors that they're looking at. And from what I am hearing... A lot of basketball people are not happy with what they're hearing with this because if Dignitas, who has already been in the league for as long as they have been and who does have these NBA owners, who does have the money and does have 
you know, a team that did pretty well for most of this year, if they're not getting through and they're being, you know, quote unquote mistreated in that, I think a lot of these NBA guys are like, well, they're worried. Yeah. Now, like, how are you going to treat me? Golden State Warriors uh, co-owners are one of the teams that they say that apparently have gone in. But think about what you just argued. What is Dignitas now? It's a name. It's not the same organization. If I'm Riot, and I think this is what they did, I don't count what anything that happened before the ownership swap. Different owners, different players. It shouldn't count. It's just a name. It's a licensing name. It, they bought the license but, to the but, name. But names have power, though. Like you know, They do, but the, fan, the fans clearly didn't follow, the original fans. Because Dignitas left. That's the problem. There was a break. There was a break. If, if there had been a, just a switch ownership swap and, it, and they stayed in the NLCS, I think it would have been fine. But it meant those team player, those fans had to go find new teams to be fans of. And Dignitas comes back, and are you really going to switch back? Like, that's you've already invested in another team? Like, it's tough. And you brought up Venture Capitalists. They probably had 100 applications of... It, to me, it sounds like this, there's a big run of my... Like, these, uh, these traditional sports owners are tripping over themselves trying to get into this because I think they can smell the money. They, they, they can see the the ability to get to that age bracket, that 18 or 15 to 25 that spends money, right? They're trying to get these fans early. Yeah. So it, it, it's the venture capitalist NBA investment differentiator at this point. Because, see, a lot of NBA teams have multiple – they're like there's, – there's lots of co-owners. Like how many co-owners does Golden State Warriors have apparently? Two of them own a team, but they're not all of them. So there's a lot of hands in the pot. So is that a differentiator? Is venture capitalist is, is having a venture capitalist investment a differentiator at this point? And I don't know if it is. And I, are they having Madison Square Garden? Like I mean, CLG had MSG buy in. That's huge. I mean, and that's a venue. That's a venue. But that's got to be worth something to Riot. I mean, to a certain extent, I I, I get. I get why CLG would be interesting, but I like I don't think that CLG being a top tier candidate would disqualify Dignitas. Ultimately, no, but for, there's ten slots. Well, that's and some team is someone's gonna go. Well, that's the thing, and I I, I thought when when I was looking at teams that were almost certainly gonna go, I thought Phoenix One was done. I thought FlyQuest was done. I thought yeah, FlyQuest was obvious. Yeah, yeah they like, got to be done. Like those two were, were clearly going to be gone. I, I the think the players that... aren't even like like they're 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 not like the the old sub Dyrus team or whatever. But they're they're close to it. Yeah, I just like ultimately for me, like I, we're not going to know what it was that Dignitas didn't have. What about Echo until Plus? we see? Well, I, here's the thing. Now I have no confidence in it because I was I was. Almost certain when I when I before this week, my thought was TSM, Cloud9, Liquid, and CLG all get through. I had Immortals at like ninety five percent. I had Dignitas at ninety percent. I had Envious and Echo Fox at about sixty percent. And I had FlyQuest mm, and NBL. Phoenix One completely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I had Envious. I, I was maybe going a little bit lower from what I was hearing. Um, because there does seem to be something about Riot where they say, oh, well, you're clearly more invested in shooters than you are in us, so therefore um, we don't like you because Riot is very – you only can care about one thing apparently. Yeah. But I am worried. I think more teams are going to not make it than we think. 
That's that's what it's I coming think, off as. I, I think the initial view was one or two teams wouldn't make it. I, but now I'm now I'm worried. I thought I for sure we were going to see five solid seven. four. Yeah, five. I'll say five. I think I, Immortals is probably as close to a lock as you can be if you're not one of those like your TS. They're not getting rid of TSM. Like no way in hell. No right. way in hell. You're not getting rid of Cloud9. No way. No. You, CLG, you, I, was, I was concerned about CLG because of the, the reputation of their management. But I think grabbing MSG just locked that yeah, one up. Yeah, them over the edge. I, honestly, I, I'm left befuddled. I, I think that ultimately, you know, one of the biggest problems I've had with the Overwatch League is that they have alienated these endemic sponsors that helped get the league there in the first place. And I'm... I'm worrying that Riot is doing very much the same. Like these brands, and for Riot, like, it's worse because there's more history. Yeah, for yeah, exactly the, right. The orgs have been in esports for a long time, but Overwatch has been around for a year. So it's like a year, a year, year, a year and a half, year and a half. Yeah, and, and so you, they have history, but not Overwatch history. And you can tell me fun. that like Team Dignitas, like they're technically new because this was a new squad, but they bought the Apex spot. Who was here last year? Like they like mm-hmm. they these players have been around. This team brand has been around. I, I, I like this is a part of history that Riot even when they have these seventy sixers there in part of their ownership, that that's not enough. So then what so what is? What what is it that you know locks somebody in now? Like you I'm know which case is fascinating? Immortals. You know who's fascinating? Liquid. Liquid has to get through. They've you got, think so? They've got that sick, sick Disney money. We, who owns, who, as we remember, owns ESPN, the company oh, that right, covers Riot Games, and a that covers BAMTech, and Axiomatic. Yeah, so all three because of those. Because that's liquid, to me, would have been like, like, if there is any of those, like, kind of pillar teams, like the founding teams of the NLCS that wasn't going to make it before the investment, it would have been liquid to me. Yeah. They, they, they might even... St- they might still be a fascinating case because this is a team that's clearly had so many issues. They they would be interesting, but as far as as far as who makes it, it's tough, man. I could see three to four. So, all right, so locks. TSM is a lock, right? TSM's a lock. CLG's a lock. You would imagine, point. yes. Now they are. Yes. They were. I don't think when they first announced franchising, I was slightly worried. Cloud Nine's a lock. Yeah. I, I think Liquid's um, a lock. Three. Liquid, okay, so you're saying Liquid's a lock. So let's say that's four. I would say Immortals is a lock. I'm not confident with anyone else anymore. I I really did. I thought Dignitas and Immortals were just as likely to get through. So at this point, like, I don't... I don't know. Like, Immortals have only been in the league for two years. It's not like their fan base is, like, this super who did massive... They, who did they... Who's their backer? Uh, I mean, they've got... Oh, a whole bunch of different investors, if I remember correctly. Which is the one that has like A Rod and all of them in it? Um, is I, that Echo? That might—that's Echo, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's I, Echo. I think it's Echo Fox. Yeah. Because um, all the sports guys are in on that one. That one to me, I think Echo might be safe at this point because of that. But again, I, I agree with you. Is like who knows? But there's a lot of different sports. Think if they don't get Echo Fox in, they've offended like every single like sports league because there's baseball guys in there, there's football guys in there, there's a hockey guy in there, there's NBA guys in there. 
That's tough. So, so I, and I big like A Rod's got like on his own like three or four hundred million dollars, and he's just like a minority owner. Like that team's got money. To uh, to to answer your question, by the way, about who uh, who is part of that uh, venture capitalist group for Immortals, um, you're looking at uh, the head of Lionsgate Interactive, uh, the chairman at Machinima, uh, Steve Kaplan, who's part of the Grizzlies uh, ownership. Uh, Brian Lee, who uh, does startups with people like Kim Kardashian, apparently. Um, that Paul- first one is interesting to me. Also, uh, I- Lincoln Park. I just wanted to hit that real quick. <laughs> Lincoln Park is I part think of this. That for- what did you say? That What was that first one? Uh, the first one was uh, the uh, president of Lionsgate Interactive Venture and Games, Peter Levin. So, so here's my thing, and I think this is something that Riot is going to do eventually. They've, they've, they've really should have already been doing is that League of Legends and its its property, its intellectual property, is prime for some kind of TV show, movie, something. And this is an organization that has uh, one of their part, minor partner owners being part of Lionsgate. Um, maybe, you know, Riot could look at that in a monetary, in a financial way and be like, do we want to not accept a team that is in that Hollywood group that we might want to, like, Warcraft made two hundred million dollars in China. Like a League of Legends movie would make such ridiculously dumb money in China. It's not even funny, just with how the Chinese box office has grown. So that's an interesting thing to me personally. Is that I would be curious to see how that would affect. But yeah, I think you're right. Four, maybe five five like locks and the other five are 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 sweating they're sweating like a lot yeah it's i i think everyone has a, has a right to be nervous i think that you know you're looking at you know from riot's perspective uh the fact that these kinds of things keep leaking like they're already having so much of a problem are they intentional just, though I, I can't imagine so because everything i'm hearing behind the scenes tells me that Riot is getting in deeper and deeper water with Tencent, who does not like these headlines being a thing. They do not like the fact that Riot has been getting slammed for these multiple different terrible ideas for the EU LCS um, and how that was being run. And and the H2K letter and all of that. Do we take 30 seconds to talk about that letter from Trindemir? Uh, where they're stepping down from their leadership positions to focus on putting the S in Riot Games. Yes. That seems coincidental. I, I, no, I think it's exactly what you think it is. I think, <laughs> I think there is an absolute cause and effect Hashtag in... Demotion? I Look, I, I've been saying for months now that I look very much forward to when Steve Aronset announces his promotion that means he's no longer going to be able to interact directly and manage the League of Legends team because he's going to have too many other projects. Um, I think that that's exactly what we just saw from, uh, from Rise and Trindamere. Like, they're, they, are ha- they are promoting themselves to a position from which they, they can kind of do different things and therefore not get in trouble slash be fired for the things that right now don't seem to be going very well. Um, that was the equivalent of a uh, mutually not mutually parting ways, but the the sometimes the the baseball coach who's stepping into the front office. Yeah. As a assistant to the like general manager or something like that. 
Um, I wanted to. Yeah, that I. Uh, that letter went completely out, like under the table. Like, did you see much on Twitter or Reddit about it? Like, it was just kind of like, yeah, look, the owners of Riot Games are just suddenly not the owners of Riot, <laughs> or like the present CEO of Riot Games. It's so weird. It's almost like they purposely released it during Worlds, such that people would not be able to focus on it for very long. Yeah, I barely. I it was a tweet. Yeah. <laughs> I almost missed it. I mean, and this is when, you know, what that means for the game in the long run, uh, we have yet to find out. I think there's a lot of, there there are a lot of conversations we're going to need to have about how best of ones are going to affect things, about why Riot seems to prioritize competitiveness for all-stars, but not for their own week-to-week league. Um, You know, what is happening with Europe and and how Riot's going to, to fix the clear wounds that they've dealt to their own moniker there. Uh, there, There's a lot to to deal with, but we're going to have to call it here for now. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. This has been very fun. Uh, Where can the nice people at home find you if they want to talk to you about anything you said today? Uh, They can find me on Twitter at Superbian, which is, uh, and then MG, Superbian MG. That's all they can find me at. 21,000 tweets since I started the account. Uh, follow me at your, at your own risk. <laughs> I, yeah. You better love politics. I was going to say, you, yeah, 21,000 for you. I'm at 41,000. So, oh, wow. I, yeah, I've, I have a problem. But you know what? I You retweet more. Mine's a lot of just, just rants. Yes, I do a lot of retweeting. That is that is for sure. But of course, I do also love keeping the conversation going with all of you that are listening today. So please talk to me at Redshirt King. And of course, if you want to make a comment down here in this lovely comment section below, uh, that would be great. I loved. I will read every single one. I try to respond to all of you guys. Uh, I love hearing what you have to say. And of course, if you want to reach out directly, we do have that handy dandy Discord uh, that Matt is in, as well as as myself and a whole bunch of other lovely listeners who uh you know we've been watching all of these uh worlds games together so if you want to watch with me as an analyst kind of breaking these things down and in kind of this nice community of people that we've built up uh get in on that discord it's a lot of fun i think you guys are going to enjoy it i think we're going to enjoy watching these upcoming quarterfinals games and there'll be a podcast on that i'm thinking it'll come out on wednesday is my current plan um, so so definitely I'm looking forward to it yeah it's listen gonna... down the ride home from work <laughs> nice yes always uh, always a good play but uh, but yeah uh, thank you again so much for coming on and uh, until next time goodbye internet <laughs> <laughs>